this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. Friday morning, and uh, I think this is the earliest we've done the podcast. I'm pretty sure this is by far the earliest we've ever done the podcast. I don't think we've, we, I mean, considering what our typical schedules look like, this is probably earliest by about three hours. Well, it should be an interesting roll of the ball down the hill. Is that a good way to say it? Because I think that's what the effort's going to require is us just getting some momentum here. Yeah, yeah. I think both of us are slowly starting to turn the lights on and some of the rooms, the lights aren't really quite working right. (laughs) (laughs) There's some faulty wiring. Hey, have you seen this thing? Um, I don't know if you've looked through the stuff I put in Trello, but you seen this thing about the phase change memory? No, I I, I was actually really curious about that note when I saw it because I get notifications from, uh, from, from Trello on my phone and sometimes there, there, there are, there are the occasional cards that you put up that are just it, it almost sounds like you're making up words <laughs> like i have no idea what the heck the note is but it's intriguing um no what is that please explain that to me okay I, this is going to be a very limited understanding explanation because i'm not even sure that i understand it but essentially from what it sounds like in this verge article is they figured out how to write enough memory onto glass as opposed to using metals and uh, silicone and all of the things that we've been using before. And it's faster. You can write on it. I don't know how many more times than you can write on um, what we use now, like flash memory. And they're expecting that eventually this will replace the RAM in all computers. 
and that it's going to make a significant speed boost on mobile phones. Yeah, I did see this actually. Um, it's it's a concept that isn't entirely that old. Um, I just think it's I'm I'm sorry that new. It it just looks like someone's finally getting to the point where they're developing the way to a way to actually make it a feasible and and practical um, application um, versus before where it's just purely theoretical. Yeah, it sounds pretty fascinating. Um, you know, it's basically data moving and being stored at the speed of light. So it's pretty. It's it's an interesting idea. I mean, eventually they had to figure it out. There's so much physical limitations to the current method that they're using. There's only so far they can amp it up without, you know, what they've been relying on until this point is miniaturizing. It's like, okay, we have this. Okay, let's shrink it down so that we can add more, and then shrink it down so we can add more. That's that's. That's what we've been doing with cell phones since the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. It's basically like that whole um, that, that 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 theoretical. It's called quantum computing, I think. Um, it's a concept that uh, um, I believe I spoke with uh, with Eric Dapp, where um, it's supposed to exponentially increase our our computing capability, so it makes things like um, self aware AIs possible. Um, you know, Terminator stuff. Um, so I I don't I don't know. Like I mean, I I, I definitely think it's it's. It, you know, we're we're busy little monkeys um, as humans. So I think um, if our upper limits of science fiction are starting to think of it, then it's only a matter of time before we actually make it. Yeah, it seems like uh, once something's imagined, it's only a matter of time until somebody figures out how to make it a reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, how yeah. many years has somebody been working on the Star Trek transporter? Mm -hmm. Ever since somebody saw that show, somebody wanted to make that happen. And I believe even the theory existed before. Mm -hmm. the show gene roddenberry actually took the theory yeah most of the theories that exist within star trek are actually you know um, pretty sound theories in science like i mean warp drive is definitely something that has its its basis in 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 science i mean don't get me wrong it's pretty far out there when it comes to to whether it's actually possible for humans to traverse the universe that way but the theory is reasonably sound i mean I've, I've spoken to you know um friends like a you know eric dapp who is who is a, a mutual friend of ours is one of the I would consider him an uber nerd. Um, you know, studied physics and advanced mathematics. You know, was thinking about, <laughs> you know, doing that for the rest of his natural life. And and he he says that you know the science is actually reasonably sound. That's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, imagine if if half of that stuff comes true, it it revolutionizes the world. I mean, just just take one one thing from Star Trek. And make that a reality, yeah. And, and it's revolutionary. Whether it's warp drive or transporters or even the replicator, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, we would not have. We would not no longer have a hunger problem. Yeah, there'd be no hunger. All you need is resources. You wouldn't need, you know, all of the complicated transportation and all of the stuff that we go through now. You know, half the reason that people in this world are starving is just because there's systems built around them that food can't get to them you know whether it's dictators blocking the transportation of food or it's just they live somewhere where the food can't get to them because it's too expensive that could change everything and not only that but i mean and this is this has always been a pet peeve of mine maybe it's because you know my my i grew up reasonably poor um but Americans waste so much food. I mean, it's 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 staggering. Like the next time you go to a restaurant, um, you know, take a quick scan when you're leaving as to how many plates are half eaten, a quarter eaten. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of this is because restaurants just 
just deliver portions that are just absolutely out of control. But by that same token, Americans waste a staggering amount of food. And with replicators, um, from the way I understand the, the, them working, like they basically just take that that matter and recycle it so that it gets reproduced again at some point into into the, the reintroduced back into the system as another meal. Which is, once again, a huge, huge world-changing idea. Yeah. You know, because oh, how many of us were told, you know, when we were kids, when we didn't finish our food, you know, there are starving people in Africa. Uh-huh. But what what good does that do you? You know, it's not like you can send the other two thirds of your portion of peas to a kid in Africa, and it's not going to rot by the time they get to them. But in that scenario, it's actually feasible. Yeah, and it's funny because um, you know, do you remember? I don't know if you ever saw that, but um, at some point, Alan, uh, one of our friends, Alan, was starting a, a company for his um, a school project called uh, Waste Not. And it was a company that literally picked up food and, and would deliver it to like homeless people and stuff like that. It was actually really cool. That's awesome. I, I don't know how far it ever got off the ground, but um, I know that for a while it was he was he was pushing pretty hard to try to get funding for it and stuff like that. But of course, it's it's funny because philanthropic pursuits like that, which are very worthwhile for us to pursue as as a species, are are not are not monetarily enticing to companies. So we actually had a hard time finding funding. That's pretty crappy. Yeah, that's usually the way it works, especially in Silicon Valley. I mean, if it's not tech, people don't seem to be interested in it. Yeah, they they seem to like not be able to wrap their heads around it. And those were the people that he was trying to go to, you know, in the area like venture capitalists who are traditionally looking to support tech companies and stuff like that. So it was tough. And you mentioned AI. Have you seen the the Google thing, the Google's Assistant Allo thing? I've 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 heard of it. I haven't. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm. I'm now weary of all personal or personal digital assistance because I haven't really seen an implementation that impresses me as much as I'd like it to yet. Apparently, this is the one so far. They also introduced like a little hub, like um, like the Amazon Echo. Yeah. Um, but here's my thought. I don't want to like go into it too far, but in reality, I, I'm thinking about all the things that Google's introduced in the last month or so, right? So Google's introduced a keyboard for iOS and Android. Yeah. Now, now they've introduced this chat app that you can also talk to a digital assistant within, you know, and it'll listen to your conversations, mm-hmm. your text conversations, and give you pertinent information when you're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one that's not thinking about the fact that all of a sudden Google's becoming Big Brother? That now they can, with using their keyboard, now they have access to all of your keystrokes. Mm-hmm. And now with the text message uh, app they will have access to all of your private conversations as well what's gonna i mean i'm not saying that they're gonna sell the information but number one google does give all of the requests does give in to all the requests from law enforcement as compared to apple and number two google mines your data already what's going to stop them from mining the data of your text messages and everything you type on your phone using gboard yeah, it's it's they've almost got the trifecta, um, and I think that's part of the reason why um, Amazon is holding on so dearly to things like not allowing Chromecast support for Amazon Prime users and stuff like that. Because the only thing that Google's really missing is your buying and purchasing history, and that's where um, Amazon is fighting pretty tough to to maintain that information. The guys on Back to Work were talking a little bit about this, and they did bring up an interesting point, though I don't necessarily like the concept of it. But 
they ask the question of at a certain point, once everything's been mined, is there really any more money in mining data? So if we reach the point where there's no more money in mining data, then it won't matter anymore. But it seems to me that the jump from that point or the jump to that point is everything. That's, that's, I mean, that's jumping from, you know, whatever percentage we're at to a hundred percent. Yeah. But I, I, I honestly think it's only a matter of time. Um, I, at, at this point, I don't think we can stop that, that, that ball from rolling to where it needs to roll anymore. Um, I think between Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, I, I, sooner or later, someone's going to take all of that information and smash it all together and create digital profiles for us that are so comprehensive and so weirdly complete um, that our behaviors will be shockingly predictable. Um, and that, that I, I don't think there will ever come a point where that, that data is not valuable. I just think that it's, it's, it's going to be at some point it becomes even more valuable once it's consolidated. Possibly. I mean, from a, from depending on who the person is, I mean, the government, it's always going to be is valuable to, to a company like Google at a certain point, it doesn't become pro as profitable to put money into the collection of the data when the incremental, when the gains are incremental, the, the initial, the initial gains from targeting advertising towards us and things like that is valuable. You're going to make a lot of money, but once that becomes standard practice, the money's gone because now that the, the difference is incremental, whether they show you one soap or another soap, the difference is what 40 cents doesn't make a difference to them. True. Good point. So there's only there's only a, a leap so far that they can get, but the the scary part is getting to that leap where where they're where they know those things. Personally, I don't mind Amazon knowing my shopping history and showing me things that are pertinent. That kind of stuff it doesn't bother me. I'm shopping; those are my commercial needs. I'm okay with that. It's yeah. my private text message conversations and all of those things. I don't want people mining that for data. Yeah, that's a little scary. I mean, it, it's it's funny because I think, I think at least on some level, um, you know, Apple's always had access to that, you know. But now that Google has not only access to it, but a, a you know a, a way to compile all of it and then track it, it's I don't know. It's I'm not even sure what they would do with that data. Um, but the the prospect that some group of humans, um, like one of our very old um, conversations about you know, um, the responsibility to, to deal with such information in, in a reasonable way. Um, you know, we, we forget that the people who have access to all of this data, um, are people just like us. And if you can imagine having data on every single person in your neighborhood, like how different your life would be or what you would do with that data, then things start to get real scary. Yeah. There's no, there's no predictability. I mean, that is the huge, we made this point before, like you said, but that is the huge flaw in every argument for it is the assumption that the people who are getting this are responsible. We have a woman that's running for president right now who couldn't even keep her confidential data in, in the place that she was supposed to. But shifting gears, did you watch the Sherlock? I didn't make it all the way through it. I fell asleep. I feel so bad. I, I watched the first I watched, I watched the first half hour and then I, I, I conked out. We're talking about Sherlock the Abominable Bride, which is the only episode of Sherlock that's been released in the last two years. Yeah, and but they're they're cranking away on the next the next season already though. It's and each of these episodes, I mean, it's not like oh whoop de doo they made a half hour or an hour episode. I mean, these are hour and a half episodes. It's a it's like making a movie. So only releasing a movie once a year is not that 
you know, that's pretty common. Well, not only that, but you know, it's, it's, it's funny when you put it from that perspective, they've never made a bad movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and they've all been extremely well-crafted. Um, you know, the, the, the scripts have been ridiculously well-written and, and everything, even what I saw of the Christmas episode was absolutely tight. So I can't, I can't imagine that the amount of, of care and work that, that goes into making every single episode of Sherlock. We'll we'll have to save the discussion until you finish it because there's some interesting things in there that I'd like to talk about. Uh, gotcha. I, I actually wanted to talk to you about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart too that I saw you throw up as a note earlier this week, which is the Jeff Johns on a mission to save DC Comics. Yes. I'm actually really curious about, about that one. I haven't heard his Nerdist interview, but I've read quite a few other interviews um, where and seen quite a few of the things that he's trying to do in order to revitalize and and rejuvenate the dc universe so i'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that well apparently he's been given he's been given the reins of the tv franchise i mean the movie franchise now really that's what that that's what that link the link that i included that's what's in that link he's being he's so this goes directly to our conversation last week about how correct me if i get the names confused again Zack snyder right yeah Zack snyder's the dc guy okay how Zack Snyder was not doing well with it. Well, apparently somebody agreed with us and Jeff Johns is being given it now. Huh, that's really interesting. And Jeff Johns, for those who don't know, is the main writer of The Flash. As well as many, many, many comic books. He's, I, I think given the right context and the right um, creative power, Jeff Johns could become to DC what Kevin Feige is to Marvel Entertainment. God, I totally agree with that. I like him so much better than Zack Snyder. I mean, I when I when I heard that that Jones was going to get the reins, I kind of got cautiously optimistic about what you know the result of that would be. But I mean, considering what he's done with the Flash, um, and considering how much he cares about the DC universe, I mean, that was one, I guess the the running thread that I saw in all of the stuff that I'd read from him is how much he really does care about the DC universe and all of its characters. So. That it's very Feige esque um, in in the reverence that he has for 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 those characters in their history. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to see. I, I I'm I'm very hopeful that he will do a fantastic job purely out of love. I think he's done a great job. I know that um, he's involved with the Flash heavily, but I believe he also has something to do with Arrow. Yeah, he's probably a producer on that show. I w- I would imagine so. And if he's been given the reins of it, that means that someone over at DC finally realized that what you need to do is you need to give some person who loves all of the properties, um, intellectual properties, the control to weave them together in such a way that it, that, that, that the universe begins to, to have a sense of cohesion. Because, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we like the Marvel Universe so much is because it's almost like episodes of different shows that all weave together and all the characters know each other. And there's, there's a cohesiveness to that universe that is just absolutely unique um, in the, the, the history of cinema. And he, I didn't actually, I didn't know this, but he was behind uh, one of my favorite episodes of the justice league unlimited cartoon as oh. well. So I, I just think that he has the capabilities to do what we've been wanting it's just a matter of whether DC is going to give him enough. I mean, he was, I mean, technically he was, he was the, not technically, just he was the, an executive producer on Batman versus Superman. Uh, so apparently he wasn't given enough there. 
to really steer that in the direction that well i think i think if <clears throat> the only way to do it is to just blow it up at this point you know i i think i almost think that johns has to to kind of not really start from scratch but just to kind of ignore what Zack snyder's already done um you know take some pertinent pieces of course but start from start from the character development aspect of it and and just rebuild rebuild these characters um in such a way that it's possible for them to have some kind of growth because that's part of the problem with where the DC universe now is that all of these all of the characters that exist are so weirdly arch- archetypal that they have no real room to grow beyond the confines of the characters that are already built for them right and then i think that the a lot of the difficulty with the DC universe as well is we have to remember that a lot of these DC characters were not created for our generation. They were created for the generation before us. Mm-hmm. So there's a level of hokiness to who they are. You know, like Superman is just a shade hokier than Captain America. And Aquaman is just a shade hokier than Namor, which is, you know, these are their Marvel equivalents essentially, right? Sure. And so what when people take reins of these DC things, they go one of two ways. Either they work really hard at killing that hokiness, and sometimes they push it so hard that they create another kind of hokiness, you know, where somebody's too tough. Like, sometimes I got that feeling, and this is Marvel, but I got that feeling from Jessica Jones sometimes, where they were trying to make her too awesome. Sure. Um, and then sometimes they just go with the hokiness too much, and it doesn't work. I think that's why the Flash and Green Arrow work. It runs the balance. It accepts the fact that there are certain things about the show or the concepts that are hokey and that you can't change without changing the core of who this character is. And it's a comic book. We have to remember these things are comic books. They're comic books. People, people are expecting everything to be like uh, this grit and this reality. And I know that, that at times daredevil can be that yeah but if you really really look at daredevil there's a hokiness to it too like the guy's blind all of a sudden he's like the best fighter in the world no (laughs) (laughs) there's no and before this tv show daredevil was not the most popular property in marvel as it was Uh, i mean do that title has been rebooted any number of times to try to give it some life i mean it's funny it's one of those those titles that I think it's one of Marvel's darlings, so they try to make it popular, um, but it's it's never been that popular. Oh yeah, it was it was I was ranked up there with the Fantastic Four as well as as far as execution had been done so far, and then now they've finally come to a place where, oh, we figured out the formula for this, and it works. But the reason that Arrow and Flash work is because they know that there's a certain hokiness to it, and they roll with it, and. If you can swallow that, there's a lot of depth to these shows. I'm I'm all I just started season three of Arrow and there's some things going on where I'm like, whoa, I don't I don't know that I want to see this happen because you kind of get used to the comfort of that hokiness. And then when things start getting a little grittier, you're like, Ooh, this this was a fun show and now it's now it's a real show and it's getting uncomfortable. And that's a weird transition. It's funny that you say that. Um I remember um we had a one of our, our 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 followers on the Facebook page wrote like a huge comment. Do you remember that um, mm-hmm. on how they didn't like their shows because they were cheesy? And I think that part of their contention was that you know there there was 
there's there's a seriousness required for some of these characters, and I think that's par- partially because um, as comic book movies over the last decade have set such a high precedence for seriousness that now um, it's it's difficult to kind of flip the switch. You know, it's it's difficult to go back to pure camp without having some resistance from the fan base. Right, and I think we've t- we've talked a little bit about this before um, that the introdu- the introduction of a little bit of humor into into these things is actually welcomed like i thought ant-man was completely refreshing because it was funny i agree i thought it was really good <laughs> and and there's a i like a little bit of hokiness in a comic book show i want a bit of i want a f- bit of a feeling of fantasy i don't want every comic book show to be grit because that's what breaking bads and things like that that aren't related to comics are for i don't want all of my comic book shows to be that sometimes i just want the hero Sometimes I just want the hero to win. You know, like, that's what, those of us who grew up with comic books, that's what we went to comic books for. Um, A lot of us, you know, uh, were not the most popular kids in school. So reading and seeing things about these people who have powers, and it wasn't about reality. It was about fantasy. It was about indulging those fantasies. You know, reading about somebody with power feels like it gives you some sort of empowerment. Um, and I think that that, more than anything, is the most important thing to keep in mind as as Jeff Johns or whoever is heading up these things is to remember why people go to these things. It's about finding why they watch these things and fulfilling that in them. And I think that's what the Marvel Universe, for the most part, has done a very good job with. Yeah. Particularly with the Avengers. You know, like, even go back to Spider-Man. You know, like they say, uh, I saw this list the other day. It's like top 25 comic book movies of all time. I didn't agree with over half of it. But one of the ones in there, which I don't agree with, they said, like, the number three movie of all time was Spider-Man 2. I didn't like Spider-Man 2 that much. But there's a super cheesy scene in that movie. And that super cheesy scene when he's on the train and all the people, they're lifting him up. Um it's cheesy. It's completely hokey. But I remember getting the feels when I was watching it because the music was right and all that. And looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that seems cheesy. But when I was in it, it was that comic book feeling. It yeah, was that. Actually, I, I actually really liked that scene. Um, that scene, in a lot of senses, made that movie for me. Um, I Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was only an okay movie, but that scene was definitely very... It, it gave you that sense, of, that, that sense of hero worship, that comic book's... Are, are intended to give you. And it's one of the few moments in comic book movies that actually gave me that feeling. Exactly. It's like um, uh, my friend Ian and I were talking on Facebook and the Avengers Age of Ultron, that beginning of that movie is like one of my favorite comic book movie beginnings um, just because it's the closest to the action that you see on the page, in my opinion. Sure. And And he mentioned the part where they're all running and there's that like almost freeze frame where they're all moving in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And it's the most epic comic book feeling ever, where you're like, "Here's the heroes." Yeah, yeah, and that I, I promise you, that was meticulously crafted for that particular frame. <laughs> and and that's and that's the thing that I'm talking about. More than anything, not that you should replicate those things over and over again because then it'll get old. But the core of what those those scenes do is they touch on why we read comic books. Sure, and that's important. But going while we're still in comic books, it's kind of nice to go to comic books early instead of late this time. But uh, have you heard about Captain America? Um, no, I. Considering how you just said that, I'm fairly certain I haven't heard. 
Um, this goes into the idea of reality and heroes. Um, I'm not sure how to break this to you. And if anybody doesn't want to know what's going on in the Captain America comic books right now, you should probably skip about five minutes ahead. So apparently, and this is real, this is not a gimmick, they're going to play this out. Captain America has always been a sleeper for Hydra. He is not a hero. What? Yep. Captain America is a traitor. Oh, man. I don't know how I feel about that. That's huge. I... Wait. Are we let's 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 figure that let's let's go through this real quickly though. Captain America, Steve Rogers, Captain America, yep. or E. Barnes, Captain America. Oh well, actually, currently right now, um, what's his name? Falcon is Captain. Oh America. yeah, the, yeah, that's right. Um, oh. Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers has always been a sleeper, and there's a there's a huge meme going around of this shot of Captain America with a speech bubble coming out of his mouth that are people putting whatever they want into the speech bubble, but the speech bubble from the comic says "Hail Hydra." Oh man, I don't know how I feel about that. It's so upsetting, but I I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant to to take and I think that they're going to they're going to be able to do something here that maybe no comic book has ever done and really dig into this idea of what we all thought, what we all needed. Like uh, all of the all of the all of the people who read these books, all of the people who love these characters, um they're going to feel betrayed in the way that you all the characters in these books are going to feel betrayed. Yeah. I think it's a genius stroke. I, I don't know that I feel comfortable with it. It makes me feel awful. Yeah. But I think it's genius. Oh man. I have a friend in particular who is such a huge Captain America fan. I gotta, I gotta text him later to find out if he's, if he's okay. <laughs> Apparently they've been planning this since 2014. Wow. That's crazy. I, and because Steve Rogers, uh, God, we're so many spoilers for people on this. Steve Rogers actually dies at some point. So he dies in the same way that Superman dies in that, you know, he's not dead. Um, but, you know, it's it's I feel like they needed to to take goody two shoes characters like Superman or, or, or Captain America and severely twist their stories. Like, I think that's part of the reason why the Injustice um, alternate universe was created over in the D.C. side where. Um, you know, Joker, the Joker gets Superman to accidentally kill Lois Lane. And so, um, Superman goes into this, this crazy rage, um, and then essentially turns the world into a police state run by him, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. That's actually something they touched on briefly in the Justice League cartoon. They they had an episode where something like that happened. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I just, I think that that's, that's going to be. Really interesting to see how that plays out, and I'm curious of whether that will bleed into the movies. I don't know that, um, what's his name, Chris Evans, I don't know that he's going to be playing Captain America for much longer. Seems like these guys do about two Avenger movies and three of their individual movies, and they're out, Yeah, which, which is understandable. I mean, you can't play a character for your whole life. Everybody can't be Fraser Crane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Has Kelsey Grammer gotten much work since then? He, he did what, like twenty years as one character. I mean, there's, there's absolutely. If you add in the Cheers years, it's probably closer to thirty, actually. Yeah, because it was, I think it was fourteen seasons of Frasier, and then all of the years as on Cheers. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's shocking. I mean, that's that's three decades worth of same dude. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah, I mean, there's the in 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 the the history of television or movies. I don't think there's been a person that's played the same character other than the Harry Potter kids. But that's individual movies versus, you know, weeklies on a TV show for 
God, three decades. That's that's insane. Right. All right. Well, let's go into some of the stuff you got here. You're going to have to lead the way on these because I don't know what your notes mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of write them in fever dream mode while I'm it's been such a long week. Um, I'm still dealing with health stuff and now new stuff is kind of cropping up like, um, you know, now I have like weird uncontrollable stomach aches and I'm, I'm, that scares the crap out of me. So I've got to go into the doctor to find out what the heck's going on there. Make sure uh, that um, they from my personal experience, make sure that they give you a scan. Mm-hmm. because everything else is guessing up to that point. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 a good idea. Um, have you seen any of the uh, OK Go videos? I seem to remember the treadmill one. Yeah, that was the first, but they have gone so much bigger since then. <laughs> Um, I, I will, I will, I will, I will send links to all of them in, in various forms. It's basically what they remind me of. I mean, you, you know, our friend Matt, um, it's like what Matt would do with music videos if you were given an, an unlimited budget and a crazy amount of time. So, um, I've been diving down the rabbit hole just because I've been, I've been kind of saddened by creativity lately and that I haven't, you know, especially on the, the, the popular side, which is the, the side that I have access to right now. Um, there hasn't been much that's really interested me and, and I find that to be pretty depressing. So they are the exception to the rule. Um, and I, I guess this is a whole separate discussion in the sense that, um, good art or good music, um, is, is, is requires work to find. And I wish that it didn't. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the essential idea of all these discovery engines and all these things they are giving us where it's like, Oh, here. And I understand Going back to the Google thing, I understand why some people find it appealing to have their data mined because it would solve a problem like what you're talking about. Oh, Lamb likes this kind of art. Let's make sure he sees this at least a few times a week. Sure. And that is a beautiful part part of the whole idea. But maybe it should be hard. Maybe finding things that are valuable should be difficult, and maybe that's part of why they're valuable. Yeah, I agree with that. I just, I, I just am at a point in my life now where I just don't have the time to find it, and it bums me out that I have to settle for mediocre, decent, popular stuff versus, um, you know, excellent, um, very creative stuff. Like it, you're right, it just requires work, and I, I, in my the current state of my life, I just don't have the time to go out there and find it. I wish I did. Well, I think one of the big problems that we have in reality that no generation before us has had is we are so tied to the idea of consumerism in the sense that uh, we feel like we are not being exposed to enough things if we're not getting enough new stuff there's nothing wrong with just continually looking at the good stuff that you've already found yeah that's true and just you know like if you have 20 good albums and 20 good movies on your shelves well and 20 good books what more do you really need for a couple of years? Go back and watch them over and over again. Like, you know, I think that that's, that's something we have to keep reminding ourselves. And I don't think that we do enough repeat visits to things. Sure. Everything we know is like skin deep. You know, reading a book once, you don't really know a book if you've only read it once. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not until like the third read that you really start getting a book. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because, um, you know, um, the, the stuff that I really do, like I do consume over and over and over again, like crystal has 
um, what we refer to as one-time movie amnesia, um, where she will watch a movie, even if it's a movie she really likes, if I could ask her about that movie a year later and she won't remember a thing about it, you know what I mean? Versus my consumption of movies where if I really like a movie, I will watch it two, maybe three times and remember every detail. <laughs> you know, individual quotes, just entire scenes. I, I have a sparkling memory for things that really inspire me. And I think that, that that's where I am right now. It's not necessarily that I want the new stuff. It's that I think I've evolved past some of the stuff that I've really liked. And I want I want that feeling. I don't think it's about the, the, the art itself. I don't think it's about the piece itself. I think it's it's about wanting that feeling of seeing something that is so incredibly impressive that it inspires you. And I haven't, I feel like I just haven't been inspired in a while. Yeah. It's a difficult thing. You can't plan inspiration, right? Sure. I mean, the only thing you can do is set yourself up to be lucky, right? So just surround yourself with the right people and the right content and hopefully something will, will, will inspire you. Yeah. People's people's the main thing is somebody drops something that they think, Oh, here, I'm just I'm just going to mention this because it's interesting to me, and I really don't expect you to actually listen to what I'm saying, and then you actually do, and it could blow your mind. And that's always the way it is, you know. Somebody's like, "Oh, you should watch this movie," and you're like, "Yeah." Two months later, maybe you get around to watching that movie, and you're like, "Whoa, sure, this is incredible." Why did I wait two months to see this? Well, I think I think part of me blames Trump for this, um, and and blames. Um, the, the Sharks and the Warriors, I mean, because, you know, our local sports teams are doing extraordinarily well. Well, not the Warriors so much. Um, that, that series is kind of scary. But um, because our Facebook feeds are so inundated with those three topics, um, at least at least mine is, I rarely see anything that's creative or artistic on my, my Facebook feed these days. Um, and so, yeah, yet another thing to blame on Trump, um, you know, way to make all of my friends just mad. <laughs> That's and that I mean to be honest, that's not Facebook's not the place I go to look for anything. Sure, <laughs> Facebook is just full of stuff that I don't want to read. It's just that's the way that it's evolved. Um, I think that's why I've always preferred Twitter. But yeah. in the long run, I think that I just keep reminding myself to read more. It, the, the experience of reading a book, I don't have to worry about people commenting on every paragraph that I'm reading. Sure. And have you noticed, okay, speaking of Facebook and all this stuff, have you noticed a strange trend that when you mention that you like something, that somebody always, there's always somebody who has to pop in and tell you that they hate it? Sure. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? I mean, not that, not that discourse and, and conversation back and forth is a bad thing, but like it seems like more so people pop in to tell you that they disagree with you, that they dislike something you've said, than people show up to agree with you. You know, if I were to say, um, hey, I actually liked Batman versus Superman, which I haven't seen, I would get more people telling me I was crazy than I would get people going, yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know what the the I think it kind of touches on the thing that we talked about last week, which is hate is kind of popular. Um, and I, I I hate to draw the parallel to the political spectrum, but I think that there's a little bit of that going on just just overall is that there that that we're in a weird phase especially in social media where people have finally gotten to the point where they feel like it's okay to hate <laughs> and and so i think more and more people are doing that yeah i agree with you like there are things that i've done for um you know the facebook page for 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 
uh, one of the businesses I'm working with where people just feel like they, they can have these these odd negative reactions that I just I, I, I'm not used to seeing on social media. It's very strange. Yeah, it's something I mean, we've talked about not we as in you and I, but we as a culture have talked about the idea of the ambiguity or the invisible nature of identity on the internet empowering people. But on Facebook, that doesn't exist. It's almost like the YouTube comment section, which was was notoriously brutal, I don't know if it still is, um, was a stepping stone for people. That they could go online and just rail against people and feel safe because nobody knew who they were. Sure. And, and now it's okay to do when people know who you are because you're not in the same room with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still an inherent level of uh, antagonism. And to, for some people, like the really brutal people, a certain level of um, cowardice. Uh, but I, I just, I, I don't like the trend toward um, popular opinion focusing more on negative. It, it bothers me. It really does. Because I think that the, the ramifications of that are far-reaching. Mm-hmm. That it bleeds into everything in our culture. You know, it's part of the reason why these days I kind of throw up my hands at social media. I just don't understand it anymore. You know, I don't I don't understand how I mean, for the last maybe six or seven years, it's just degenerated. Um, and I remember seeing, you know, posts from people who are just whining about negative stuff um, and, and whatever your problems are, they're real to you. So I'm not I'm not belittling the problem itself. But, you know, there, it, I, I don't want to just continually read negative, negative, negative all the time. And I feel like. If you if 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 we're surrounded by that for long enough, then that becomes a certain expectation in our brains, and I feel like it's gotten to that level not just with popular media but with social media too. Like that's 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 not far behind, and so at least on a personal level now, I just I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I would like to be social on social media. You know, I would love to be more more open and candid about what's going on in my life and 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 what I. I I, I, I'm doing or, or my challenges or my fears or whatever it is, but I don't want to open it up for democratic referendum. Like that's, that's just not the point. You know, that's, it's, it's not, I don't want to put it up there to, for it to be criticized or scrutinized or analyzed. You know what I mean? It's just my life. And I feel like, I feel like people haven't made that, that transition between regular conversation and social media conversation. Like if you wouldn't say it to a person's face, you probably shouldn't say it on Facebook, you know? Right. And if if you don't have the guts to say it to their face, then you definitely shouldn't say it on Facebook because that means you're a massive coward. So I, 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 I have difficulties with that just overall now. And it's the hardest thing about being a content creator is you can't swim in negativity. You can't continually read all of this negativity and be expected to go out there and create things and not have that bleed into the things that you create. Sure. And at the same time, you can't promote the things that you've created unless you're swimming in all of this stuff because the only way you're going to get people to see your stuff on Facebook is if you're continually interacting with people because otherwise that algorithm is just going to bury you. So (laughs) it's this vicious cycle where it's like I have to swim through miles of feces in order to find uh, one little gem, you know, it's, is it worth it to swim in the feces? God, that, 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 
that Facebook algorithm is so annoying now. I mean, I, I just had a conversation with my cousin about this the other day where, you know, it was okay when it was rewarding you for, for interaction or shares or whatever it is, but it's entirely not okay for it to punish you for the lack of it. You know what I mean? My cousin said that he hadn't seen anything posted for me in the past two months just because he, he finally just eventually went to my Facebook page or my Facebook profile and, and just looked through all of my posts and he said, yeah, I hadn't seen any of these for, for a good two months. So I just wonder if anybody is ever seeing anything that I post anymore, you know, because I post so seldomly that it's, you know, anytime I post anything about the podcast, it might, you know, get a few, a few clicks and likes and shares and stuff like that. But beyond that, like, I just don't, I don't feel like anything I'll ask friends, like if they, if they'd seen something that I posted um, with them in it, they say, no, I didn't see that. So I, I, I'm, I don't know what their ultimate intention is or, or, or what the, the purpose of, of setting up the algorithm to punish a lack of interaction is, but I, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where it's very close to me just killing my Facebook page altogether. Oh, I, just, I, I guarantee you that maybe 3% of the people on my Facebook, see what I post. For example, I did a test. I think you saw it. Um, everybody keeps telling me that uh, if you post videos to to Facebook mm -hmm. um, natively, that it jumps to the top of the feed for everybody because they really want people to post stuff natively. Yeah. So I tried it. I took a an episode from last week um, of my vlog, and I posted it natively on Facebook. Now... I don't remember how many friends I have. Over 300. Over 300 somewhere, right? Yeah. 93 views. So, and you might think, oh, well, that just means, you know, 200 people didn't feel like watching your video. No, no, no. That means 93 people saw it because Facebook native videos autoplay. Yeah. And if it's on somebody's screen for three seconds, they, it counts it as a view. So, what that means is that even doing their top thing, the thing that they're promoting the most only one third of the people at least less than one third of the people saw that mm. that's i mean that's kind of ridiculous I, I miss when everybody saw everything i know it's hard when you have you know like 500 friends it's not possible but my god it's so hard as a content creator just to get things in front of people you've done the hard work of making it and now all of a sudden you have to do even more hard work just to get people to see things. And and not only that, but it's counterintuitive hard work and it's constant work, <laughs> oh. which is the challenge for both you and I, because, you know, this is not our full time gig. And in, in a lot of ways, it's the opposite of a full time gig for, for us on certain days where there is so much other stuff to do. You almost have to tend this like a garden where where your daylight cycle is 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 every other hour. You know what I mean? So you have to constantly monitor it. And I, I know for, for in previous environments I've been in, um, you know, with the old um, the old company I was doing for photo stuff, we literally were monitoring our social media stuff every hour. It was insane. And I can't I would love to get to a point where I have that kind of time. But I, you know, in order to do that with our podcast. But I think even if I had that kind of time, the prospect of doing that just physically irks me. <laughs> I even try, I tried Hootsuite last week. I, I'm like, hey, you know, maybe this will be easier. No, it wasn't. It was just as difficult. There's there's certain levels of things maybe it made a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, not enough for me to pay money to do it. Yeah, I, I'm, I found Hootsuite to be really useful in my previous work environment because we would create all of our content at the beginning of the week. 
Um, you know, so we, our cycle was basically, we'd start production on Tuesday, we'd end on Friday. And so we'd have a whole collection of links and images and all that kind of stuff that we're posting to Twitter, Facebook, um, you know, Instagram and, and YouTube and having the ability to take out a Monday and just schedule all of those posts was actually really, really nice. But I think unless you've got that level of production or that much content going out, it's not really that useful. It's the same thing. Well, a lot of the thing that I really was hoping that it would help me with is being able to maintain, particularly like my YouTube comments. Um, there's a certain level of difficulty involved in keeping up because none of the apps, the current apps, we've talked about this briefly before, none of the current apps for YouTube, particularly on the phone, make it easy for you to keep up on comments in the sense that um, you might get a notification. Well, you click that notification. Okay, you just got to jump you over to this app and put you into this video, and then you got to comment on this. And then sometimes you can't see all the comments, and it becomes a mess. So the the cleanest, easiest way to deal with comments on Facebook, is, I mean uh, YouTube, is to literally go into YouTube on the desktop. Mm-hmm. But then you have to remember where these comments are coming from, what video you need to go to. So you actually literally have to go to your last like seven videos and make sure you're caught up on all the comments. Sure. And it's just, it's very time consuming. And I tried, oh, I did, okay, this is natively connected to Google Plus. So I tried the Google Plus app. Works great until you get a second comment. If you get two comments on the same video, now when you click it, you can't, in the YouTube or the Google Plus app, you can't see both of the messages. You'll, you can only see the most recent one. So it's just, it's a mess. And Hootsuite promised, you know, that, oh, that we have YouTube integration. Yeah, it didn't work. The way that it should and it bummed me out because um i feel like somebody needs to dump money into the solution and really make something that works yeah and considering how useful that would be for content creators i mean i can't even imagine because you have a daily vlog um and because you know people don't necessarily consume it on the day that it comes out trying to manage the different comments from different videos like you might get a comment from video two weeks back, you know, and, and you're having to deal with that at the same time as a comment from 10 seconds ago. So I can't imagine getting 10 of those and then trying to figure out what goes with what and properly commenting. on It's, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, it should be easy. I don't know for Facebook. Hey, I, you can say a lot of bad things about Facebook and I definitely will. But when I get a notification and I click on it, I am never confused to what that's attached to. I'm never acu- uh, confused about the, the thread of everything. Like As far as comments and notifications and managing those on Facebook, I never have a problem. Mm. I, I, can, I can reply to, you know, somebody sends me a comment about a, something I posted like six months ago. Boom. I, it takes me right to it. No problems. So somebody should be paying attention to that. So maybe it, it's it's just combining the interfaces um, in order to make them work. I'm surprised that YouTube hasn't fixed that. Actually, that's been something that's that's kind of been a problem with YouTube for a very long time. Google seems to have trouble with integration. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that problem existed before um, 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 YouTube was a Google company. So right, but Google should have been able to fix that with all their money. Yeah, that's true. But given given Google's history, for some odd reason, they cannot quite figure out the interaction piece. Isn't it funny when you have these huge companies that we look at as nothing can stop them? They have so much money. And then there's just some things that they're horrible at. 
and no matter what they do, they 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 can't seem to ever figure it out. Like Google can never figure out social media, ever. None of the social media things they've tried have ever worked. Yeah, and they've pushed them all pretty hard too through the years, and 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 to this day, I can't really think of one that I used for more than three months. <laughs> it, oh, look at uh, look at Apple. Apple has the same problem, right? They've been continually trying to do this. Um, social media for a music thing you know first it was ping which was in your itunes and then they've had google connect in this apple music and now i've heard rumors that google connect is being killed off because nobody cares about it yep it's funny to me it's, yeah it's, and it's it's and it's weird how they have billions of dollars they ha- they literally have billions of dollars um it might be in the high billions at this point um, and they can't get an engineering, um, psychology and social and marketing team together. That's good enough to figure out how to make social media sticky for them. I don't understand that considering how many eyeballs they have on a daily basis. I mean, don't get me wrong. Adding some kind of weird social media interaction on my Google search page would probably infuriate me initially, but I actually don't think in the long run that it's a bad idea to integrate that directly into the search engine itself. It seems like, I think I've read something that that was one of the things that they were considering doing. But I think I think the problem maybe is the reason that they fail at these every time is because the motivation for these things are money, yeah, as yeah. opposed to um, providing something that people actually want. Um, you know, uh, Apple Music it worked, but Apple Music was a grab at money, and a lot of people resisted it, and a lot of people still resist it because you can feel that from it. But the convenience of having a music app on your phone that's already built in. It's like you said, you know, having that in your search engine, it'll be annoying at first, but the convenience will win out. Yeah, and I agree. I, to be honest with you, if 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 it were on my actual, like I remember there was, um, oh, I forget the name of it. it Rockmelt, Rockmelt. It was a mm. it was a it was a browser from way back in the day that integrated Facebook directly into the browser itself, and I loved it. I thought it was great. And this is back when 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 Facebook was still. Um, usable and not a giant flaming turd with bad algorithms. Um, when it actually worked and social interaction happened quite a bit and I used Messenger and I liked Facebook because it didn't punish me for not using it enough. You know, I feel like I feel like at the, at, I feel like Facebook just grew up and became this mean, arrogant bastard. Um, you know, it had such promise when it was a kid. It had so much talent and potential. And then as it grew up, it just realized its potential, but also realized that it had that potential and just became meaner and meaner and meaner. It's uh, like that. It's like that thing that I sent you of the the banners, the banners oh, yeah. of the social <laughs> the, media. The, or, or I'm sorry, the Game of Thrones banners. Those are genius. Yeah. Facebook is the Lannisters. Yeah, they, he, they basically are. I, I hope, though, that they go full Lannister and at some point they rise high enough that they fall and then become the Facebook that we all want them to be. Um, because I really, you know, I, I hate ripping on Facebook because I just don't like being negative in general. But they were, it was such a, a, a unique product for what it was. And I, I think it goes back to something we always talk about, which is the moment, you, the, the, I, and don't get me wrong, I understand that you need to monetize a product. But the moment the need for monetization um, outweighs the, the desire to create a useful tool, then you start losing people. Then you start losing the intention of what the original uh, the original product was created for. And I think that that's where Facebook is now. They care more about making money than being useful. And and if they can 
switch that and learn to be more useful um, and have the money follow, then I think that they've got a real shot at doing something great. Um, but right now, I, I, I hate, I literally hate Facebook. I, I cannot stand it. And I am very, very close to the point where I just don't ever want to open it up ever again. I think that's why both you and I are loving Workflowy so much. It, oh, yeah. It's, it's a product, they're probably not making much money. Um, it's a product that is not feature rich. It's very feature stripped, but it does that one thing really well. And that's all you expect from it. And I don't know, it's just that having something dialed like that, instead of trying to offer me everything, just give me one thing. And that seems to be nicer. God, what a badass app Workflowy is. You know, you know, you know what I want to say about Workflowy? It goes, it goes back to so many, to one very important thing that we've talked about, which is please for anyone out there. I mean, I know we live in an age of, of free to play. And then if you want feature rich stuff then you, or more features then you end up buying it or whatever it is in order to support the company. Um, Workflowy doesn't quite work on that model. They're just like, this is what we've got and you either want it or you don't. So, um, pay us. I really like that they did that. And please, for anyone who's out there, don't even hesitate. It's it's probably the best money you'll spend on an app ever. Yeah, if, if you like outline structure. If you don't, you'll hate it. <laughs> That's true. But I think even for those who don't like outline structure, you could benefit from organizing your thoughts back into a structure that makes logical sense and has a physical representation. Have you figured out what you're going to do with all the notes that you have that require images yet? Oh God, I don't I, <laughs> No, but I was literally just thinking about that last night. Cause I was, I was, I was kind of, I was setting up, um, you know, some different tabs and workflow. And I was just thinking to myself, how am I going to do that? What's your solution for that? I don't really have one yet. Um, I was actually t thinking about it last night as well. I was hunting around and looking and apparently I'm not sure how I feel about this because I feel like it's going to take a lot of time, but a lot of people are hosting their images just in Dropbox mm -hmm. and then dropping a link to the image wherever it's pertinent. Yeah. Um, what I've discovered, though, in going through my notes and transferring notes slowly into Workflowy mm -hmm. is that about 70% of the notes that have images don't need images. Sure. The, it's, it's not pertinent to the information. And... I guess uh, just figuring out what those are will help a lot. I'm not sure yet. It'll be interesting to see how we develop. It'll be a, maybe the workflow might be an ongoing conversation in the show. Yeah, I have a feeling that in the long run, it's 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 weird because I think I've never used an app of that kind that has such a clearly defined outline structure. And you know, going through school, like I, I used outline structure a lot for my creative writing and my schoolwork. So it's it's it feels like coming home. Um, but it's obviously the interface is very different from a piece of paper and a pencil. So, um, learning how to use it and learning how to create, um, outlines that are more comprehensive than the ones I'm used to doing with paper, because when you do it with paper, you always give yourself room for modification. Um, so sometimes you're a little more vague about, about points than you need to be, but in, in workflow, you don't have that problem. Um, so you can go as crazy as you want. You can go as deep as you want inherently. Uh, and I, I have a feeling that there's going to be a point where I realized I've gone too deep on certain things and need to figure out the right balance point. But you're right. I think it'll be an on-running theme for both of us. And the search in Workflowy is the best search that I've ever seen. Oh, by far. Not even close. I mean, okay. So for people who aren't familiar with Workflowy, I'm going to boil this down as quickly as I can. Essentially, it's just an outline structure. You can put – everything is text. All you can do pretty much is bold text or not bold it. 
and that's it. And everything is clickable to the point where you can focus in on parts of an outline so that it'll block everything else out. But the reason that the search is powerful is, for example, uh, it's, it's instantaneous. Um, so I searched, for example, I just did a search for Atlantis in my workflow. Now it's going to bring me up this note that I have that has the word Atlantis in it, which, you know, Evernote and OneNote and all these other things will do. But what Workflowy does that is mind-blowing is it gives you the full context of what that note is. So I have a note here about uh, the Atlantis parts. It says, you know, if I were to read this note, this is what I would see if I pulled it up in another app. If it isolated it, I would just see the words. The Atlantis parts are what I've been remembering for all of these years. That doesn't mm -hmm. tell me anything. I don't know what that means. I don't know what I'm referring to. But because of Workflowy, I can see that the next level up is 1959, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Okay. And then the level above that, I can see films. A level above that, I can see director is Harry, Harry Le Henry Levin. And above that, I can see it's in my, in my commonplace book. Oh, now I have the context. This is a note that I made while I was watching the 1959 Journey to the Center of the Earth directed by Harry Levin. Now I have everything I need on that one note. It's incredible for research. Yeah. Have you have you tried it for any of your articles yet? No, not yet. I've been thinking about that because um, aside from all of the other features, at its core, it's very similar to Scrivener. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And being able to move parts around is pretty valuable when you're writing an article because paragraphs don't always stay where they're first written. Yeah, and having a, a physical representation where you can literally take points and move them around. I, I can't wait to have a project that, that requires me to do that. Like I'm thinking about just writing an article for the golf blog just to use Workflowy and to figure out um, how useful the structure would be when I have it to compare side by side with the article. That's really cool. The only thing that, um, the only, there's only one gripe that I would make about the way that Workflowy works. Uh, if you have a lot of notes in there, it becomes a little unwieldy to move a note from one place to another because it's it's only click and drag. So if you have a lot of levels, you're doing a lot of clicking to un, unravel things to find the place. So, I mean, you're better off just putting notes where you want them to start with. Mm -hmm. But that's not always possible. You know, you, you want to use it as a daily scratch thing, you know, like write down quick notes and then follow them later you're going to be doing a little bit more work in the filing. So I wish there was a right click and move to option. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that that's, that's a matter of time before they, they add that into the interface. Cause it just makes sense. It just makes sense to have that. I mean, have you, um, what, what device are you predominantly using it on? Uh, mostly, mostly I'm using it on, on the desktop, but, uh, I do find myself every once in a while jumping into the iPhone app, uh, which is not perfect. It's, it's, a little difficult to deal with those little pluses and minuses on the screen because it's so yeah. small. Sure. But it's not impossible and it's not as difficult as actually dealing with the OneNote app was. Oh yeah, that was monstrous. So, give and take. I mean, in reality, the majority of what I will use it for on my phone is a quick search. That's yeah. it. And it does that really well. Yeah, I, I've been using it on um, what I consider to be the perfect interface for it because I can literally watch my, I just use my fingers and throw things around is uh, my uh, my iPad. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, I bet. 
yeah i mean don't get me wrong it's useful on on my my phone but my phone i I just usually use it on my phone as a rep, a quick reference for things that I've 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 needed to to store for certain processes. Um, on the desktop side, it's a little clunky. I mean, it's useful, but it's not. It's it's made for touch in my mind. Like it just feels better on touch. And so, um, you know, on my iPad, it's just it's just awesome on my iPad. It's it's the way it was meant to be used, in my opinion. When you when you use it on desktop next time, open up the keyboard shortcuts. Oh yeah. When you start using the keyboard shortcuts, you're going to change your mind. Really? Uh, I like the finger flicking, though, man. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of enter, tab, enter, tab. You make a note. I mean, I can dump things in here so fast with the keyboard. It's so nice. Yeah. Um, anyways, other topics. We have other topics on here. Other topics? Is that what I said? Another <laughs> topics? Hey, what's, what's this note uh, about Cortana here? Uh, I just, I can't. I, it's dead. I, I killed Cortana completely on my computer, and I, I will never, ever crack it open ever again. So how are you searching for things then? I'm literally just typing stuff in and, and using Google again. I'm I'm back to old school, man. I'm back no, to... No, no, I mean uh, stuff that's on your computer. Um, I use the actual physical search, the web in Windows. There's a little bar down at the bottom in Windows 10, and I just, I, I, I literally just search that way. Or I open up my computer, like you know, all of us in the Windows world have been doing since Windows 95. Um, and I and I do the search that way. I mean, okay, because that bar is technically Cortana. Yeah, I, it's technically Cortana, but I'm not using the inter, the Cortana interface the way that it was intended to be used, I guess. I'm going. Oh, with. yeah. I never talked to her ever. Yeah, I, I wish I could talk to her. I wish I could talk to some kind of personal assistant that would make my life easier on my computer. But I just I just can't do it. Cortana is just not not the one. I think I still have it turned on. Hey, Cortana. Nope, apparently not. <laughs> I love it. You 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 called for, and there was silence to follow. That was great. Yeah. So that that maybe that's a a good way to differentiate them. Is Cortana is the personal assistant who never answers, and Siri is the one who always gets everything wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Google is the one with no personality. <laughs> I I'm I can't wait. We got to put that out to our our listeners slash one of our friends to make um, cartoon versions of each of these as if they were X's in your life, <laughs> because that essentially represents every a, a type of girl that we've all dated in some way. So that's that's about right. <laughs> what are you reading these days, man? Um, I'm still working my way through. Uh, thinking fast and slow. I've almost finished the life-changing magic of tidying up, and I think I'm 10 pages from the end of that, and I went from thinking it was an okay book to absolutely hating this book. Huh. <laughs> I th- at first, I thought it was like a cutesy little thing that she mentioned once, but she keeps telling people to talk to their inanimate objects. It's, I mean, I, I don't even... I don't even I, I can't even read some of the passages of this book without laughing out loud. Like she's telling people when they go into their house, greet your home. Hello, home. <laughs> she says like she goes into a client's house and she'll, she'll spend two silent minutes upon entering the house to greet the home. And I, I don't. And then she's trying to explain that, um, items that items that you have that you have no longer need for. They're really just hungry to be wanted and needed. So you're better off throwing them away or burning them because then their spirit can re-enter into the world and become something new for you. Maybe a new outfit. I I don't even 
I, I'm reading this stuff and I'm I'm looking for somebody in the room to look at, and and it's just one of those can you believe this is happening moments. Wow, so, that's insane. It's I don't even. I'm just baffled. I mean, that sounds like something that would come out of one flew out of or flew over the cuckoo's nest or something. That's that's very strange. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. So that's 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 where I am right now. <laughs> it, well, is it is it strange enough that you just want to read it just to see how weird it gets? No, because it's not strange. Interesting. It's just strange. There's when she's when she's talking about certain things about the organization. She does make some valid points, but then some stuff I'm just very philosophically opposed to. I mean, this is a woman who thinks you should only have like four or five books in your house at one time. Mm. And I definitely do not agree with that. But her her theories about storing certain things may have some validity. Um, stacking things vertically as opposed to horizontally. Like putting your shirts in the drawers vertically. That kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is then you can see all of the shirts. You don't have to lift shirts to see shirts underneath. So I guess I would say if you can see past the weird stuff that I'm pointing out, the other parts are worth at least listening to. What are you reading? Um, I went full full comic book mode. Um but but not comic book mode in the big superhero y comic books. Um I it started with Watchmen. Um is that it, it started actually with a, a question that Crystal posed to me. She wanted to be, you know, uh, she wanted to read some comics and she wanted something that was different from the standard superhero fair. Um, so we ended up going on a hunt for um, the old um, Sandman tradebacks, um, you know, the, the, the whole series in, 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 you know, in, in the form that, that graphic novels took. So um, I started there, um, so I, you know, Preludes and Nocturnes, and then kind of moved on from all the other Neil Gaiman stuff, because um, she really liked Neil Gaiman's novels. She had just never seen any of the comic books, which is shocking to me. Usually, it's the other way around. Um, and we also, you know, she asked me if there was one, if there was one good one that I would recommend that would be that would be defining in the world of comic books, and I told her um, that Watchmen would be the one to read. Um, also, did you see that, um, they might be including, um, the Watchmen into the DC universe? Whoa. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but that, um, uh, Dr. Manhattan has had a hand in a lot of the stuff that's been happening over the last 20 years in the universe. And they're going to introduce that in like the Watchmen have been kind of watching the superheroes in the DC universe for the last 20 years. That could be a really interesting thing for them. Yeah. I thought it was really, I th- I thought that was kind of like, I had the I had that kind of feeling um, that your whole Captain America being a Hydra sleeper um, had, which was you know it kind of shocked the crap out of me. Of course, the Captain America thing makes me want to cry, um, but I thought that the, the introducing the Watchmen into the DC universe thing was actually a very very fascinating move, and it was it's it's kind of a, a an out of left field move that's really really cool. You know, it's funny is um, I have a couple paperback of DC made these things. Um, I think these were late 80s or early 90s called who's who books um in marvel they would make ones called the official marvel handbook of the uh, the official handbook of the marvel universe yeah. it's basically just char- drawings of one character and then their biographical data you know it's, it's it's essentially like it says a who's who book right and i was flipping through one of these a few weeks ago the dc ones and i got to the page where the watchman was and i had i had forgotten that they were a DC comic. Yeah. And 
that moment is maybe it's similar to what you're thinking right now, where it kind of blew my mind where I'm like, Oh, they exist in the same world as Superman. Yeah. And that, that for some reason, Watchmen has always seemed like, um, an independent comic. Sure. You know, something that was on dark horse or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. To, to realize that they're in with those hokier characters mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Because there's no mention of any of the other superheroes in, in the Watchmen comic book itself. So, you know, it's, it's easy to, to, to not see them as existing in the same universe. But I think the intention was always to have them exist within the same universe. So to see those grimier, um, more well-developed characters in the actual DC universe and to see how they would interact with all of these other um, characters would actually be really interesting to see. I'm actually pretty fascinated by the prospect of what that would bring to the DC universe. And I actually think that it would be, if they do it right and if they take their time, they can slowly introduce the Watchmen into the DC universe in a way that's actually really meaningful. What did you think of the movie version? Zack Snyder again. Um, A lot of Blue Wang. Um, I, 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 Zack Snyder, I can't, I can't deal with that guy. I just cannot. I love the watch. I love Watchmen so much as a comic book. Um, and don't get me wrong. I actually don't think he did a terrible job. There were just some, some creative choices that were just really weird, um, that were done purely for the sake of the visual and, and shock value versus anything that was cohesive to the story. I mean, I thought it was cast really well. I actually thought the script was decent, there was just some super strange artistic choices that I just didn't understand. And it's not it's not a potato potato kind of thing. It's not like I had, you know, different tastes and he didn't quite match my taste. They were just creative creative and narrative choices that just made absolutely zero sense.